All right. We're live. We are recording. Um, I'm going to assume the rabbinical position. The rabbinical position. Um, actually, aging is not for sissies. That's uh, put that down. Um, what I've done today is just put uh, an overview of all types of senior living communities on paper. And I'm just going to go through the highlights. Some of this you know, some of it you might not know, um, but it's just a place to kind of get the, uh, the surface of all the senior living communities available. Uh, opening disclosure, uh, I was fortunate enough to discover senior living the latter part of my healthcare career um, and spent 18 years in the oversight of a number of communities across the United States of every type that you'll see in this, this handout. And so I'm a real believer uh, in senior living for seniors. Uh, often we talk about a senior wanting to stay at home, and that's fine, and that works for a number of seniors, but what I discovered is the senior's friends sort of die off or leave. Um, or their loved one dies and they stay at home, there's little to no socialization and it sort of just sort of feeds on itself. And given the design of the home, often our homes are not a safe place for seniors with stairs and you know, from, the, from the garage into the house or up to the bedroom. Uh, homes typically aren't built for seniors. So I'm a, a real believer in senior living. Um, it's not for everyone, but I've seen so many success stories where seniors move into a, a senior living community and just really blossom with friends, activities, etc. So that's upfront disclosure. I'm a I'm a I'm a strong believer in that. So let's just start. Follow along. Uh, community types. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to go over the community types. Uh, the contracts and price ranges by community type and some things you need to know. Uh, one thing I did not have time to do, and honestly, I don't know that much about the options available in Middle Tennessee, but there are some senior living communities that are subsidized by the federal government. They're called HUD properties. I don't know if the names change. Christian Towers is one. Um, I think on Voltee. Um, there's not many. There's often long waiting lists, and the rents are definitely cheaper. So I don't know that much about that. That's not the kind of senior housing I spent my last 18 years of my career in. So just understand that's not covered in this. What is that HUD? Housing and Urban Development. Okay, that's the so federal the agency. The okay. It's the federal agency that oversees it. Uh, because government money went into building it, uh, there are some subsidized rents. They are, they are much cheaper. There's often long waiting lists for it. Not as many. Okay. John Rucker is a good example. That's where he spent his latter years. Um, I think was in the, the Christian Towers. Mm -hmm. I think it was on Balti. I remember I visited him a couple of times. There's, there's something on Tre in Trebekah's campus too, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Lakeshore has yeah. one. 
too. There's one so, part of it that's yeah, has a power that's subsidized. I didn't mean to leave that out. I won't make you aware of it. I just don't know that much about it. Uh, the first community type is independent living, standalone, uh, where it's the only uh, product offered on the campus. Uh, it is for seniors who can generally care for themselves. It has an emergency call system or daily check-in to make sure the senior's okay. That's, that's good. Uh, it does offer meals. They often don't offer three meals a day. A few do, most don't. Uh, it's usually one meal a day, or it might have a meal allowance system where there's X amount of dollars, say $400 a month, made available, and they just are, are charged against it. They offer weekly or bi-weekly housekeeping. There's usually scheduled group transportation. Uh, it's rare that you find them um, providing individual transportation. If they do, that's usually for additional costs. Um, they do offer activities. Um, independent living is not licensed or regulated by the state in any way. Uh, it's, it's just not. Um, in most states it, it is, in a few states it is, but in most states it is not. There is uh, no clinical supervision or, uh, or medication management. Uh, the community might have a preferred vendor in-house uh, that can help with some of this, uh, but that obviously would be an additional charge. But the community itself cannot provide those kind of services. They're usually one and two bedroom apartments. A few might have a studio or a three bedroom, but that's kind of rare. But there are different models. There's larger two bedrooms, smaller two bedrooms. So you get different models. Uh, there is a full kitchen provided. So the assumption is the senior can provide some of their own meals for themselves. Um, some have apartment and washers, excuse me, apartment washers and dryers in the unit. Uh, and some do not, uh, where there might be a, like a laundromat type function on each floor. They're usually about 100 to 150 apartments in size. Examples locally are the Manor, Steeplechase, Brookdale, Franklin. Avenida Cool Springs is an interesting new one that just either it just opened or is about to open. It's on Mallory Station. Um, they're kind of where the Christian radio station is. Um, it is built for seniors, but there's very few services made available. The rents are really low, but there's not hardly any service. Uh, but it is designed for seniors. It's one of the few apartment complexes in Cool Springs that has elevators. Uh, if you've ever checked out apartment buildings around, they rarely have elevators. Avenida does. Uh, it's an interesting concept. Um, Say no meal plan transportation light activities. Does that mean they have no meal plan transportation or light activities? Correct. Well, I'm sorry. They do no have. Plan. They have oh, a very light have. activity program. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. But they do not provide transportation, and uh, they might have a little bistro continental breakfast. But it, it, it doesn't have a kitchen. It doesn't serve meals. So, anyway. As a result, uh, when we see the rents, I didn't put their rent in there, but their rents are probably five to eight hundred dollars a month cheaper. They're after the really high functioning, mm -hmm. 
uh, independent senior, probably in their 60s or 70s. Does that make sense? Are they all apartment? Like yes. apartment? Rental. Apartments. You're not talking about any, I mean, you're going to get off to somewhere else, I guess, that has a home, not an apartment. These are like buildings yeah, with apartments? Pretty much all of these okay. I'm talking about. With, with one exception, we talk about the life care entry fee community uh, has villas, but you still rent them. You don't own them. Okay. Okay. Assisted living uh, is for seniors who need help. Uh, it's, it is licensed by the state. Uh, they do provide hands-on cares for ADLs, that's assistance with daily living, uh, but it does have limits. Um, in the state of Tennessee, uh, assisted living can't take everybody. Um, for instance, if the senior has uh, decubitus ulcers, stage three or four, they're not eligible for admission. They can't have any IV therapy going on at all. Uh, it can't be fed via tube can't be hostile or violent. I just mentioned that to say that um, assisted living is not appropriate for everybody. Um, and uh, this is kind of a gray area. This last comment's important. The senior needs to have enough transferability to evacuate. And that's often a judgment call. Um, assisted living really can't take someone who's bound to the bed. Um, and would have a hard time getting out in, in case of a fire. Um, the, like I said, the regulations are kind of gray, but that's basically the rule of thumb that, that uh, those of us in the industry have used. Assisted living does provide in its service three meals a day. It has activities through the week, including weekends. Uh, it usually offers scheduled weekly transportation, typically for medical appointments. If you think about assisted living folks, they're not wanting typically to go shopping or you know, if they're going out it's usually for a medical appointment and that's what you'll see. And and does some of them charge you for that? Some do. Not for not for medical appointment stuff. Uh, now they don't have unlimited capacity. They're not a taxi service. But they'll dis disclose up front the days they do medical appointments and you, if it's Tuesdays and Thursdays, well you need to get mom or dad to make their appointment on a Tuesday or Thursday or you're going to be taking them, or you'll be paying Uber or Lyft or someone else to take them. Does that mean there's certain providers that they're going to? I mean, are they can, everybody's got a different doctor. No, well, but what they'll do is tell you, they should tell you up front, we'll go to any physician's office within a 10-mile radius, 20-mile radius, 5-mile radius. That's up to the community to disclose. There's no, there's no law that says they have to do so. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of how they do it. I don't um, know if you're saying, but if, if the heritage, if you're like in an assisted living or a skilled care, if, if you're a heritage resident, quote unquote, in skilled care, they will take you Monday through Friday. Yeah, we're talking assisted living. Okay. Let's stay with assisted living. Okay. Um, it's a competitive thing. You know, some some that are a little more hungrier for occupancy might might have medical appointments every day. Just something to kind of check for when you, when you, when you move in. Um, a lot of the assisted livings now have primary care practices. You don't have to use them, but they make them available. 
It's often a nurse practitioner working with a doctor, which is wonderful if you trust that provider. That saves an awful lot of in and out going to the doctor for, for kind of common normal things. Uh, but I, most assisted livings now make that available through some uh, group that they've contracted with. Um, assisted living does weekly housekeeping and laundry in their main uh, 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 within their main rent. Uh, laundry is done by the by the staff. Uh, they will clean up a, if your loved one has an accident or makes a mess. They'll clean it up. Uh, that's part of their, their their service. There are no kitchens. There can be a small refrigerator. No ovens or stoves. Uh, microwaves typically are discouraged. You think about a microwave and what someone with cognitive challenge might put in it. You know, it can be a problem. Um, the regulation permits them, but they're often discouraged for good reason. Uh, the facility may or may not have exit door controls. Y'all understand what I'm saying there? Um, even in assisted living, you get some cognitive challenge and out the door they go. So it's a good thing to have that. Um, usually there are studios and one bedrooms. Some have two bedrooms. The two bedrooms are now in high demand. Strong economy, rent's not an issue, and they want to get mom and dad together. Um, a lot of support and clinical staff to, to serve the resident. Uh, it's care associates who generally help dress and bathe, escort the, the, the resident around the community. Uh, nurses are there to oversee clinical needs and perform medication management. Medications are often supplied by common pharmacy, but the resident or family is responsible to pay for it. Uh, if you want to use your own pharmacy, some will say, no, we can't do that, you'll have to leave, or condition of occupancy or they'll charge you a fee to work with a different pharmacy. So there's a strong incentive to use their pharmacy. Um, hospice service as the uh, resident ages can be provided in-house there in the assisted living. Uh, they're typically about 60 to 90 apartments in terms of scope and size. This is interesting, a portion, not all, but a portion of the rent is tax deductible and the owner or manager will disclose that once a year around tax time. Um, independent living, not tax deductible, but because of all the clinical stuff going on in assisted living, is tax deductible. And that can effectively reduce the cost of the, of the unit. Um, Examples, I think you all know these, there's just a few in the area. The Morning Points in Brentwood and Franklin, the Cumberland and Green Hills, Fountains, a new one, Canterfield, uh, Brighton Gardens and Maryland Farms and Elmcroft at Brentwood. There's there's a lot of assisted livings. And these are standalone? These are standalone. So they don't, there's no, it's not, it's not progressive. It's not progressive. Okay. We're headed there. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Uh, the next area is, is dedicated memory care. These are for severe dementia and Alzheimer's residents. They are also licensed by the state. Uh, and a memory care, all exits are locked down with ingress and egress controls to prevent the resident from wandering outside of the community. 
Uh, the memory cares in, in the Nashville area tend to be part of an assisted living, and it's just a separate part of the building. There are, a, well, the only one I know that's standalone, there's probably others, that is Abe's Garden in Green Hills. It's, it's a dedicated, separate, standalone community. There's kind of an evolving trend in memory cares where they actually consist of two units. Uh, unfortunately, Alzheimer's can strike people young while they're high-functioning physically, but cognitively they're in twilight zone. Um, and so what the industry has learned is um, adult children are much more comfortable putting mom or dad or an aunt or uncle where there's other higher-functioning challenged people. So you'll see kind of uh, two subunits within a memory care. They're not, they're not all doing that, but that's kind of a, a trend, which is, I think, a good idea to, to separate that on acuity. Uh, they are subject to the same regulations here in Tennessee that the assisted livings are. Memory care will have even more care staff due to the acuity of the residents. If you think about it, they, they, they are, are less able to even do anything for themselves. Uh, but they are physical, they can walk around, so you'll tend to see more staffing uh, in memory the, care. In nursing, you know, they talk a lot about staffing ratios. Uh, is that something that these units have? I mean, is there one well, nurse on Well, the state of Tennessee does, it man, does not mandate ratios. Okay. Some states do, but the state of Tennessee does not. Is that something you would ask of a memory care unit? Yeah, you should. Um, in, in memory care, you typically want to see care staff person for about every six to eight residents. Uh, assisted living, you know, depending on acuity, you know, eight to eight to twelve. Um, then you kind of look at floors. Some of those ratios don't make sense if they're on different floors. You know, if you've got, sometimes you've got to have some staff on that floor regardless of what's going on. That's why memory cares tend to be one story. Uh, you'll see some that are two story. If so, just be sure what the staffing is uh, on each floor. It's hard for care to you know, go back and forth, particularly with the acuity going on there. Uh, let's see, where was I? No kitchens at all, that makes sense. There's a dedicated dining area. In memory care, they're mostly all small studios. Uh, there's some with one bedrooms. Um, residents spend most of the day in what I call supervised common areas. That's kind of where the, the residents tend to spend their day. They don't tend to be that big for the reasons I just mentioned, about 20 to 40 apartments uh, in size. Uh, again, a portion of the, the, uh, the rent here is tax deductible. Um, all of the examples I mentioned in assisted living have memory care units. Uh, then the standalone that I mentioned is Abe's Garden. Uh, moving on, skilled nursing facilities. These are for shorter uh, post-hospitalization rehab. They're usually covered by Medicare. Just remember, Medicare has limits. There's only 100 days of coverage per clinical episode uh, with, with the Medicare stay, just a little over three months. And then they're also for long-term care residents who require continuous nursing care that would not be 
appropriate to be admitted to an assisted living. Uh, the residents often can bind to their bed or does not have the ability to transfer. Um, they may uh, require assistance eating with meals. Uh, skilled nursing facilities are licensed by the state, but here's a significant addition. They are also subject to significant federal government rules via Medicare. When Uncle Sam's money gets involved in care, here comes the federal government with rules and regulations to, to um, have jurisdiction over that. Uh, the federal government can levy serious sanctions against the state, excuse me, this, the uh, skilled nursing facility if the surveys uh, are poor. They can be fines, significant penalties, or they can even take away their Medicare participation. Um, also, the federal government, through its agency that oversees it, CMS, has a star rating uh, based on the Medicare claims that come through the system and based on survey history. Uh, five star is the best skilled nursing facility. One star is the is the worst. I will tell you, the star ratings have issues, but over time they're not a bad proxy of, of quality. For instance, I've seen some pretty good skilled nursing facilities have a three star rating, um, but like any sort of arbitrary rules, sometimes something happens and temporarily you're kind of doing. The only five-star skilled nursing facility that I'm aware of, unless this has changed in the last six months, is the Summerfield Healthcare Center at the Heritage. Um, there's four-star, three-star, to just check. Uh, but it is a consistent method that the federal government uses for skilled nursing facilities. Uh, they tend to have private and semi-private rooms. Understand Medicare only covers a semi-private room. Uh, provides three meals a day. Uh, has a dining room. Often has a separate dining area for those needing eating assistance. And the senior can also eat in their room. Hospice can also come into skilled nursing if they're needed. The SNF provides laundry and housekeeping. Uh, during a Medicare stay, the skilled nursing facility is responsible for medications. After Medicare, and they're in a long-term private stay, the resident or the family is responsible for the medications. Uh, but they're provided by the skilled nursing uh, facility. Um, as you would expect, a skilled nursing facility, because of the acuity, has more clinical staff than assisted living or memory care. Uh, there's a new rule that CMS now requires an RN on the side of a skilled nursing facility at least eight hours a day, and that's becoming a big focus in maintaining that star rating, uh, just to see an RN available daily uh, to, the, to the staff. Often there's exit door control for ingress and egress. Uh, they often have a medical director, but that medical director often is not the physician who tends to see patients. Uh, the facility often will contract with the primary care doctor or practice to see the patients while they are residents uh, in, the, uh, in the facility.
They tend to be about 60 to 120 beds in size. Uh, all of the rate paid for long-term care is tax deductible. Uh, examples, Summerfield Healthcare Center at the Heritage, NHC Cool Springs, NHC Franklin, um, NHC Bellevue, et cetera, et cetera. Um, some of these skilled facilities I mentioned do not accept Medicaid. It's their, their right and their choice. Typically, if their occupancy is so strong they don't need Medicare, excuse me, Medicaid patients, they don't do it because Medicaid reimbursement is so much lower. But those accepting Medicaid in this area are NHC Franklin, Grace Healthcare, and the Claiborne Hughes Healthcare Center. For the Medicare 100 days maximum, mm -hmm. something I've discovered in my home health job, um, there's this magic 21 days. Yeah. You, that's that's for point. Medicare to pay full, right? Yeah, the first 20, 20 days, it's, it's covered. Uh, if the resident needs to stay beyond that, then there becomes a co-insurance. Um, and if the, the senior, the resident, has a Medicare supplemental policy, no problem. If they don't, you're looking at paying 20%. And I'll have the pricing listed here mm -hmm. in a minute. But you'll be responsible per day for 20% of that, that rent cost. You will. I am amazed every time at my job when I look at the admit and discharge date. Of the right, 20 days. Hmm. Right. Magically, all the goals are met. And it's illegal for a community to waive that. The government will come down hard, hard if they do. So, yes. I have one last week, uh, day, day 21. Mm -hmm. They sent her home in an Uber. Mm -hmm. The order good, health good health health. Health. Okay, a progressive place, retirement center. Um, a retirement center has typically an independent living, assisted living, memory care, and sometimes a skilled nursing facility on an integrated campus. Uh, it's usually designed where a resident or family can walk to all levels of care uh, on, on the same building. Uh, as I've said earlier, the IL per se is not licensed, but the AL memory care and SNF are still subject to all the state and federal regulations that we talked about earlier. The nice thing about this, it allows the senior to kind of remain at one address as they age, you know, through the rest of their lives. And if, if there's a married couple, often one of the partners may develop severe cognitive problems. And that way, the, the one partner can remain in independent living and go visit and have someone take care of their cognitively or physically challenged partner that may live in assisted living or memory care. Uh, but having that, that couple on the same campus helps a lot. Um, in a retirement center, there's a separate dining room for independent living and assisted living. And there's separate activity programs, which makes sense for the higher functioning or lower functioning residents. Uh, these places tend to be a lot bigger, 200 to 500 apartments. And because of their size and their stronger revenue base, they often can pay higher wage rates uh, and provide more choices in transportation, um, like my sister was talking about earlier. Um, they might actually provide 
uh, several vehicles to do more medical appointments. There's often more choices and lifestyles in, in dining programs. Examples of this uh, are a community I helped open, Summer B. Franklin, a new one coming to Brentwood. I don't know if it's called The Crossings or they've changed the name to Harmony. It's there on uh, Church Street, way high up on a hill, um, right about where church turns into Cloverland. Um, and then the Traditions of Nolansville is another one opening uh, summer of 2020. For some reason, Nashville has never had many retirement centers, which I, I kind of find amazing. Uh, when we opened Summerby Franklin, um, the demand was extremely strong. Um, people like that that integrated sort of campus. Um, the next one we'll mention quickly is a life care community. It's also known as a buy-in community or an entry fee community. Sometimes with an industry, we call them CCRCs, a Continuous Care Retirement Community. Um, these communities require a large upfront uh, payment. That doesn't mean you own your unit. It's just part of the contract. Um, this is known as an entry fee. It's you know, usually six figures, sometimes depending on the unit in the high six figures. Interest is not paid on the entry fee. Um, because of this uh, significant financial responsibility, um, if you're interested in this, expect someone to look at your loved one's finances or perhaps even your finances if your loved one can't qualify alone. Uh, they want to be sure you have the ability to afford their, their services. Um, this is not always the case, but it's usually the case, this next part, uh, part, depending on the contract, should the resident need a higher level of care, the resident will likely pay the same amount for assisted living, memory care, or skilled that they pay an additional, excuse me, an independent living plus a, a fee for additional meals. Do you, you understand that? Is that clear? So it's so sort of like you're, you're, you're sort of with your entry fee, you're kind of prepaying the more yeah. intensive care that you're yeah. expecting. It, it, it's like, I'll make this point later in this section, it's like a long-term care insurance. It's not idea, identical, but it's like you're you're locking down, so to speak, your future health care costs should you have to age through the continuum at a greatly preferred rate. And we'll, we'll, we'll see what those rates look like in a minute. But doesn't it also sometimes yearly go up? Not the entry fee. Once no, you pay no, the, no, no, no. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, the entry fee uh, often is refundable to a percentage. In the industry, it's usually about 50% to 90% refundable. The more you get back, the higher entry fee you pay. The less you get back, the less entry fee you pay. Yeah. When do you get that back? You get that back when the resident dies, okay. or should the resident voluntarily decide, I'm going to leave. Uh, but note the contract. You don't get it back automatically. Many times, it only comes back once the unit that resident lived in sells. 
and I mentioned this and, and things to look for. Some entry fee communities will have that clause, but they'll say, after two years, it hasn't sold, you'll get your money back. Some don't. That's a key thing. We'll, we'll, get, we'll come back to that. But they, they tend to be refundable, but note the terms of ref, uh, that, that drive the timing of the refund. Okay? Uh, as I say here, think of this much like long-term care insurance. It sort of fixes your future health care cost into the future. Will they ever negotiate that with you? The entry fee? Not the entry fee, but if you butt back on um, timing of getting your money back. Doubt it. They're not going to negotiate with you. No. Uh, I, okay. I'd be surprised. Okay. Um, entry fee communities are not licensed per se. Um, I've added a personal note, something I'm going to try to work on because I just think strongly about this. In the state of Tennessee, there are no uh, regulations pertinent to these entry fees. I believe there should be, and I'm a, I'm a free market Republican, but um, I've just seen too many cases where something really bad has happened. Um, I think there should be similar regulation of an entry fee community like the, like the state of Tennessee does for insurance companies. If you're a licensed insurance company in the state of Tennessee, you've got to prove you've got enough money to pay claims in the future. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. We've all come to expect that. In the entry fee community in the state of Tennessee, there is nothing. Um, and there's a lot of seniors putting up some big bucks. And if you think about it, that recession crashes, and they can't pay those refunds, there is no backstop. Um, Meaning the, the patient might not get the care that you've paid for? Well, that could happen too, but I'm, right now I'm focused on the refund. Okay. If you, if, you, if you have sold your house and you've put in half a million right. to say live in a two bedroom apartment, and I'm just worst case scenario, you know, economic calamity hits the United States, like we saw in 208, 209, and they can't pay that refund. Mm -hmm. If that person dies. Person, right. you know, that's or their estate. I mean, that's a lot of the, that's a lot of their assets. Yeah. So I think that needs to change. Uh, the state of Florida, uh, where I have a lot of experience, has a a, a really good program. Uh, it's a little intrusive at times on the operator, but typically I think it's a good thing. When when we sold entry fee in Florida. We would train our salespeople to say, we are regulated by the state of Florida. You are protected. Uh, and we would often use that in other parts of the industry that weren't regulated. Does that make sense? I actually think it would help entity communities if that were there. Because I think a lot of people pull back to, mm, I don't know if I want to risk it or not. Does that make sense? So is there a way that we could petition uh, our, our state government to, to do this. Talk to your your state representative or state senator. That'd be the. I need to move on. Examples: uh, Richmond Place, uh, the Heritage, the Blakeford. Uh, Blakeford's really on TV a lot. Uh, you've seen. Okay. Wow, we are out of time. That's not good.
Let's let me, let me, let me hurry. Uh, pricing, you know, I'll tell you what, you can, you can see a lot. Let me mention a few things about pricing. In independent living, assisted living, memory care, there's always something called a community fee. It's a one-time charge, anywhere from $500 to $3,000. Sometimes they're waived, depending on occupancy situations and specials. But there are one-time fees to cover the transition cost of someone moving in, etc. Um, I mentioned those. And there's also, for a couple, there's almost always a second person fee. So if a couple moves in to an independent living or an assisted living, there's the primary uh, rent, but there's always a second person fee. In uh, assisted living, if a couple moves in, um, while the second person fee is a lot less, they also will be subject to something called care charges. In just about every assisted living, there's an additional significant cost called a care charge based on the condition and needs of the resident. Every company has almost a unique approach to this. It's a point system or an ADL system, but when, when you're quoted room and board in assisted living, understand there's going to be anywhere from another $500 to $2,000 of additional care charges required in assisted living. Um, memory care, though, in Middle Tennessee often is all-inclusive. And I think they've gone that way simply because an Alzheimer's resident has so many needs, they're all going to be higher. But memory care rent, as you'll see on my summary, is higher than assisted living, obviously higher than independent living. But I've given you some examples. Uh, I used to do competitive analysis throughout the market. I'm probably about a year behind. This is what I would think you would see. So these aren't perfect. You may find some differences, but I'm trying to give you an idea as to what to expect. Entry fee pricing, um, again, that entry fee is a one-time charge, okay? That's not monthly. An entry fee community's rents tend to be a little less than their competitors. Uh, I'd say roughly five to seven percent. Um, but you're also paying that big entry fee up front. What happens, that community gets the benefit of your loved one's money. And good ones invest it safely and they use that return to keep the cost of operations competitive. That's what they do with that money. The good ones don't go out and spend it. The good ones invest it, use that interest income to benefit the community. But again, in the state of Tennessee, there's no regulation that requires that. I'm just saying what the good ones tend to do. But in that monthly fee, there are a lot of services that are made available. Oh yeah, just like independent living. Yeah, you just yeah. have to consider yeah, they, weigh your yeah. checks and balances. Um, Skilled nursing, something just to note, rates are always quoted per day, they're rarely quoted per month, and the current range uh, is 200 to 300 a day. Getting back to Medicare, mm -hmm. if you don't have a supplemental policy and your loved one needs care beyond that 20 days, 
It's 20% of this number per day. Is that clear? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Semi-private rates tend to be 145 to 175 a day. If the SNF community has no semi-privates, well then they, you're not deemed. But Medicare only covers a semi-private rate. So often there's an upgrade fee that you're personally responsible for, even if Medicare's paying the bill. Um, contracts, all communities require a signed contract. Uh, I just have just listed by product type uh, things to look for uh, in that contract. They're long, lengthy agreements. Rarely does a community negotiate those agreements. And having been an operator myself, the reason is if you start letting some adult son attorney pick apart, then you got to let it pick it apart for everyone. What you'll hear is, ma'am, sir, we just don't negotiate our contract. So that's just, that's what you generally, you know, see. Uh, but I, I listed these just to make sure there's no surprises and there's full disclosure. Um, but you can kind of see the, the things I've, I've listed there. Uh, and an independent living that's not state regulated, um, something to really be careful about. Some leases and in independent living only allow you to get out one time a year. Does that make sense? Make it out. Terminate the lease. Oh, okay. Um, like and if you don't terminate the lease, a window of opportunity. Yeah, okay. Then you're on the hook for all the rent for that year. Most independent livings will give you 60, 90, 120 days. If you'll just provide notice, you can get out. Some, like Summerby Franklin, has a minimum stay of six months. Then after that, you can give a 60-day notice and you can get out. But that word to the wise, some of these contracts only allow you out annually. Um, so if you so just just note that die if you were to De die now, now death is different. Death is different. Okay. Death is different. Each an independent living because it's not regulated. An assisted living is regulated. Uh, Thirty day notice and you're out. There's that's that's that notice. Some operators, even in death, will hold you to 30-day notice. Most don't, though. Most, the minute you clean out that apartment, you're off the hook. Okay? But independent living, again, it's not regulated. I have a question it's, when you say they only have one day. Is it the day you, got, you signed it's, up it's a year later, or is it just It depends on the, the contract. The contract will state you know, when you have that window of opportunity to, to exit the agreement. Now again, I'm only talking about independent living that is not subject to regulations. The owners, the operators can set whatever exit terms they wish. I'm just saying, watch that. Watch that. Um, things you need to, to check out. No, let me hit these. I'm a real believer in security. Um, for all types, including independent living. There's been some cases not long ago, right here in Franklin Brentwood, where uh, 
adults went in, just walked right into the uh, community, started checking unlocked doors, go in, help themselves to medication, personal valuables, and walk out. No one ever stopped them. I think a good practice uh, is the, the, the visitors have to be checked, signed in, eyeballed, checked. But check security, check how people can get in and out of the building, uh, that's an important thing to, to know. Uh, next page, elopement history is a good proxy to me about how well staff is on top of what's going on. Uh, but if seniors are routinely uh, or with some regularity leaving the community unescorted that shouldn't be, that's a problem. How do you check that? Ask them. Just ask them? Ask them. Yeah. Um, and if they, give you, if they give, you, give you a fuzzy answer, what does that tell you? A fuzzy answer. So just look for a fuzzy answer. Right. No, don't. You don't want a fuzzy answer. Yeah, you don't, want you don't but yeah. you do want to know where Standalone independent living, um, are residents appropriate? Uh, because of the push for occupancy, a lot of independent livings basically have let people live there that really need to be in assisted living. And if you have a loved one that's going expecting a place and they're, they're pretty high-functioning. They're expecting everyone to be kind of like them. But they go to the dining room and they're not. I mean, it, it, it kind of sets up a bad dynamic. And then that senior says, well, you taught me into going here, but I, I'm not like that. And they're right. So just be careful about that with standalone independent livings. Make sure um, that your loved one will feel comfortable there. Yeah. And most places will let you come in, oh, yeah. have a meal, check, you know, absolutely. So take advantage of that. Don't sign a, a contract and check that you've out. Right. Gone in, eaten, and be sure sat to around with some of the residents. Yeah. That's that's be sure Karen, that's the next point. Yeah. Oh sorry. Eat a, no no it's okay. <laughs> that's right. Eat a meal either at lunch or supper at community to do what Karen just said, to truly check out to see is it truly independent living. I'm sorry we're running over. And memory care the key is the daily activity program and the people who lead it. Um, otherwise, a memory care unit can just be a place where you warehouse needy seniors. That activity program is everything. Um, so observe the activities, talk to the coordinator that does it, see what they're doing. And assisted living, to me, the key leader is the healthcare director or nursing director. Um, how long have they been there? Does he or she communicate well? Do they seem to know the residents? That's the person, even more so than the executive director, that's going to drive the care and assisted living. At some of the larger places, retirement communities, entry fees, or independent livings, I think the executive director is a key. Uh, look for stability there. Can they communicate and explain the details? their community well or do they keep asking you know when you ask them a question does he he or she bring in someone to answer your question if they can't answer your questions that tells me they're probably not engaged with the community um, for entry fees we talked about uh, the refunds you can ask for this find out how long 
on average does it take after a resident dies or leaves the community for them to get their refund back? And I'd ask for a two-year history. Uh, you don't need names. I mean, that, that would be a violation. Just see what has been their practice. And if they refuse to give you that, careful. It usually takes a long time. Um, and then ask how the community can ensure refunds will be paid. As I said, it's not, there's no law requiring this, but see what answer they give you. Uh, who knows, maybe they've developed a good plan that gives you some, some reasonable certainty that refund will be paid. Always check out the company or ownership behind the community. Uh, whether it's in good financial shape or in trouble, I will tell you uh, senior living companies that are in trouble or are having challenges do tend to starve, quote-unquote, the resources going to the community. The meal plan won't be as good. The staffing will get scrunched. It all kind of flows downhill. So the capability and strength of the ownership or the company behind it does make a big difference in these places. Um, and assisted livings, memory cares, and skilled nursings, because they're subject to, to surveys, annual surveys and regulation. Uh, there are public survey results. Check those out, see what they say. And then feel free to give me a call. I'd be happy to help if need. So, so uh, does Texas regulate like Florida? Uh, Texas does, last time, that's a, I'm, the, I'm not sure on this, last time I checked it does not. Probably not. What about Alabama? Uh, Alabama does not. So only Florida that we really know does. Well, there's, there's other states. They tend to be kind of east and, and, and north. But I, I would be a little dated on that. So check, you know, Texas may have developed something. I don't know. I just haven't checked it. Before. I just know the state of Tennessee does not. I feel sick thinking about that. I feel like I had to have a whole other conversation with my mother and her sisters. But my grandmother's in the Blakeford. Oh. And they had said, oh, it can take a while to get the refund. And, and their tax person or the financial guy said, oh, well, you should get it back immediately. Oh. And so now well, I'm feeling like, I don't, well, that's what we're going to be looking at this week. <laughs> yeah. I will say the Heritage does, I believe, have a two-year. If, if, if it hasn't sold in two years, it'll get paid. I'm pretty sure that's the case. But a lot of, some of these don't have any, it's just until it sells. And think about it. You get into a downturn. Exactly. And that's demand what... drops. The five, six, seven years. I'm sick thinking about it. Well, check it out. Now, I've, I've, I have worked and marketed and sold entry fee. If they're done right, it can be quite a blessing. Absolutely. Uh, my dad's black care resident at the Heritage. And what he's having to pay for his long-term right. care is dramatically less. Less, right. Than so he's only paying the second person fee, yeah. which is much more than the first. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so there's some, some there's advantages. A lot of, there's some benefits. So but some but my advice is, I would not, personally, I would, if, if, your, if your parents, if that's all their assets they have, I would not you wouldn't, you wouldn't risk it, yeah, but if I would, it's not all the assets, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, if they've got the ability to lock up that kind of money and still have some nest egg, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I'd lean toward doing it. But I hate to see people just dump everything they, they have 
Okay. Into it. But sometimes you have to do that. Anyway, is this helpful? I, I feel like I, I was sharing a lot of information. You might know. But. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yep.